0: Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Brewing with Conviction. It is April 30th. It'll be the last cast for the month. And what a, what a great day to wrap it up. We've got a jam packed agenda. I'm joined again by Jesus. Jesus, welcome back to the show. It's good to, good to be back.
1: Thanks for having me, as usual.
0: How are you, Ben? How you holding up with everything going on?
1: Uh, I mean, being an essential worker sucks. But <laughs> at least yeah. at least I still have a job, which I'm thankful for,
0: yeah, yeah, same. I hear you. Um, all right, well, so I'm gonna recap as usual. we'll We'll start out by just recapping our agenda for the evening and uh, and then we'll just d- jump right in. So we're gonna start with um competitive EDH talks and CEDH. We're gonna talk a little bit. i'm gonna, I'm actually going to have you talk a little bit about the meta shifts with the ban of Flash and just kind of what we've seen shake out since then. Uh, And I know you are going to touch on things like food chain and uh, demonic consultation. So I don't want to steal your thunder, but we'll talk about that. The second topic is going to be talking just a little bit about the impact of companions that we've been seeing sweeping through basically every format, I would say except EDH, uh, but standard, pioneer, modern, legacy, and vintage, all of them are being impacted. We're going to talk about that. And the third topic we're gonna to talk about is gonna be reserveless spikes. So we've seen Gaea's Cradle, Wheel of Fortune, Survival of the Fittest, Copy Artifact, uh, Gilded Drake. There's been a, ha- I, I might be missing a few, but we gonna be talking a little bit about those and really specifically talking about why they're spiking and whether we believe it's sustainable CEDH demand, which has been kind of the rumor and the myth, rumor and or the myth going around. I will, spoiler alert, say I'm on the side of the myth. Uh, or the other side, which I believe, and we'll talk more about this, is that speculators are driving this. We'll we'll get into that as kind of a third topic, and then the fourth and final topic before we do any sort of Q and A from the audience is storefront and vendor sales update. So, plan on giving a little bit of insight into what I've been seeing with my store, Chicago Style Gaming. I had a couple of conversations privately with a few others just to kind of report on what I've been seeing. Um, you know, more broadly throughout the secondary market. And then I also want to, in, in that same conversation, touch on just the impact of the supply chain that we're seeing, kind of the the, the lack thereof supply chain with everything that's been going on. Uh, TCG Direct, Card Kingdom, uh, Channel Fireball, and then also even to a lesser extent, Star City Games and some of the other, you know, uh, medium-tier s- size stores with their warehouses either being shut down or, you know, slowed down. I'm talking about how that's impacting supply on the secondary market for various cards. And finally, we'll wrap up with Q&A. So let's dive in. We'll we'll start with the CEDH meta. And, and Jesus, I'm going to turn it over to you to just talk a little bit about the impact that that flash ban had. Uh, that was about three weeks ago now.
1: To say the least, from what I've been seeing and what I've... Well, and from what I've been seeing with a lot of um, major... oh. CEDH channels such as lab maniacs playing with power a few others who play, uh, and a few others. I know personally who play with CEDH flash Well flash ban was actually a huge boon for the format overall now It seems people are experimenting a lot more at the upper well at the upper end of the formats power level uh, things like uh, Stacks pieces are much more prevalent now that you don't have to be holding up turn one turn two force of will and then uh I like the fact that this the bandwidth fl- uh the flash ban ended up allowing slower combos to actually creep back into upper levels of play. So now, in terms of finishers, you actually have much more options overall. I'm seeing the return of food chain Prosh and food chain Corvold uh, from one of my personal friends, who and he's been seeing a lot of success with that. Um... And there's also the fact that since Flash is gone, the kind of efficient combo to go to is uh, Demonic Consultation. The combo overall costs one le- well, one mana more, but it requires um, a little more to be going on in your hand as that, as that kind of pushes you to need to hold up a ton of blue. Or to have other like free answers in your hand in order to try to close out the game. And if you don't happen to close out the game at the right time, or like if you don't happen to have those answers properly, then someone in response can say, Oh, hey, you're dead. Which I've seen actually a few times. Um, but going back to the meta overall... Um, like in terms of cards and decks to look out for, uh, you're gonna want to really take a look or a closer look at any decks that have like slower combo pieces that are still fairly efficient and promote powerful engines. So like KCI combo is one that comes to mind, which is actually see starting to be slotted into Brea consultation since they need less counter spells, um, more stacks effects. So Blood Pod and uh, a deck that Jim from the Lab Maniacs likes to call Bears on Wheels, which is an Esper Stax deck with a Silas Timna. That's also a very potent deck uh, from my experience in my play.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, one of the, you know, just to kind of play, it's, I guess it's not Devil's Advocate, but just to point out one card that I've heard has seen a, a dramatic drop, and, and I'm imagining there's probably others along these lines, would be Graf Digger's Cage. Ah, uh, that was I think played in just about every deck because it was a way to prevent the flash combo from happening because it would you you couldn't play things from the graveyard so, um, it would it would exile and prevent things uh, prevent the cast triggers but um, I know that was one that I've seen falling off. On the flip side, one of the one, one of the new cards out of Commander 2020 that is pre-selling for more than the MSRP of the individual pre-con, first guardianship is. Skyrocketing to the top of the list, I, I've seen that basically in every every Cedh build that I've looked at in the last week or so has had that card in it, uh, and I think that's a testament to both the power of blue, or even maybe the necessity of having blue in the format, and also power of what Fierce Guardianship actually can do. Uh, it's basically another free force of will, force of mitigation type of card just to add more consistency consistency to your ability to protect your combos so to your point um, as those kind of second tier combos come into play you you can having cards like fierce guardianship added to the pool allows you to have more free spells that you can hold up to protect and, and let those things resolve do you think jesus do you think that the Influx of what we're going to talk about in a little bit with Reserve List and CEDH cards, is that are those going hand-in-hand hand because of renewed interest in CEDH due to the ban?
1: I think the effect overall is very minimal. Uh, and the reason why I say this is because, much like MTG Finance, CEDH kind of has this negative stigma surrounding it. Uh, so I think very few cards people are just buying to buy uh, well, I think it's more so that people are buying these notable cards, not for the combos or anything, but nec- but because they are just fun cards to play in any level of EDH. For example, Gaia's Cradle's a big one. And I know you're going to get on this later, but it's been seeing some movement. Um, but going back to uh, CEDH and Ikoria, Fierce Guardian shit, uh, there's another card... Well, like, and uh, the big reason why... Yes, uh... There is a big loss in everyone cutting Graf Digger's cage for. Well, because Flash Ban. I think the new include is going to be. Uh, Dranneth Magistrate? The one.
0: Huh? Dranneth Magistrate, yeah, that's a yeah. Good, yeah, for sure. Because,
1: that, because there are a lot of combos that were slower in CEDH, which still saw prevalent play, even through Flash being out. And. Uh, They're going to be seeing more play now with the Flash Ban, as these combos rely heavily on their commander. Like As a Brea player, um, the Bomberman combo with Brea is a big one, which is Ariok Salvagers plus LED. Lion's Eye Diamond, sack it, generate infinite cult mana of all colors, play Brea, infinitely sack Brea, bolt everyone on the board. Uh, That combo simply does not function, and you cannot close out the game with it, Unless you have another infinite mana outlet, which is now required to be in your hand because Magistrate exists. And now de- other decks, like um, uh, uh, Food Chain Prosh, is also going to have to look out for that and need to pack more answers. So that's, uh, so that's something you got to look out for, especially when building or looking at cards to purchase when it comes to CEDH
0: so last question on this topic and we'll move on to companions um i think this is a fairly quick one but you just mentioned uh Drance magistrate and i remember in our fiction gaming discord the other day actually i think you and pride were talking about the reserve resurgence of white as a color from a stack standpoint in EDH. I-, I mentioned blue and how important blue is to hold up to protect combos from a counter counter spell standpoint but it seems like with Janice Magistrate and then obviously other cards like Rest in Peace already existing as well as um, some of the ones that limit your ability to play more than one spell per turn. There's a few of those that are out there. It seems like those could actually make a resurgence as well now that Flash is gone because as combos, Flash was so fast and, and those just never had time to set up. But with combos, you have an opportunity with some of those cards to get them down turn one, two, and and three, theoretically, to... Prevent those combos from going off. So now suddenly they need an answer to that before they can combo off. Uh, that that's probably just I, I kind of want to mention that as well and see what your take was there.
1: So my thoughts on this are: white has always been a powerful supporting color in EDH, regardless of power level. Most of the thing which slows down uh, white and kind of makes it not as good in lower levels is simply. Playgroups don't like being stacked out of the game. They don't like resource denial. Stuff like that. Where white is all about equalizing resources or denying them outright. In CEDH, that's a very powerful effect, which again, like you said, it was too slow because of um, well, because of Flash. So without Flash, these, well, white is just going to become more and more prevalent and white-blue well, especially with uh, Fierce Guardianship being printed, white blue is just going to be the norm for most decks. You're going to have one of the two, if not both.
0: Yeah, like, I, yeah, that's a great point. You, well, and you mentioned Esper earlier, and and I think white blue, and then you put you put black in, you get access to com- the amount of consultation with the fastest oracle, and so um, that seems like that color. Com- I feel like that color combo is going to be a prominent one moving forward. But we'll see how that kind of shakes out.
1: Yeah, another example of that is a deck called Blood Pod, which is a um it's a Timnatana stacks deck, which focuses on a best basically setting up an early board state uh and the card advantage from Timna in order to essentially take well stacks out the well stacks out the board and just get enough card advantage and value going to eventually find your combo and go off. If that uh, yeah. the, that deck forces the game to be a war of attrition which it almost always wins and similar decks are going are being brewed and are going to be seen more and more play because of this like i said bears on bears and cars which is a uh, literally a uh, hate bears vehicles deck that is being played by it was made by one of the people in Lab Maniacs, jim and that's from my, what my what I saw, and from what I play tested from proxying out the deck. It looks sick and is actually a very fun deck, and I just think that more and more of these creative stacks oriented brews are going to be coming to the forefront.
0: Right. No, I, I agree with you for sure. Yeah, I think white is gonna is gonna have the biggest resurgence here. So keep an eye out for that. If, I, I, for anyone that's interested in playing CEDH, certainly um, you probably. Are already aware of that. But if you're not interested in, but you're interested in playing it, but you're interested in it from particularly a secondary market standpoint, keep an eye out for some of those cards. Jesus mentioned Drance Magistrate, which is out of um uh, That card is already, I think, pre-ordering still around $5. But if that card comes down in price, eventually, particularly the foils, those would be really appealing, um, you know, just to keep an eye out for, not necessarily a spec, but certainly one to Um, add to the watch list so okay so let's transition over to companions and talk a little bit about them in basically every other format (laughs) so standard all the way down through vintage these things are just running wild and i I very specifically should call out Luris, which is uh dominating the the older the format the more you see Luris played Luris is the uh, the one that can't your deck can't have permanents in it that are for a casting cost of, I believe, two or less, and it is a three two for three, and, and it's just running wild. Um, but we're, we're, why don't we talk just a little bit about companions broadly? Jesus, at first, I wanted to let, let you kind of share your thoughts on these. I know you had some concerns, of, you know, that we're going to get these again, right? So, you had some concerns you want to share about what that might mean moving forward.
1: First of all, I'm going to set the straight companion is a mistake. <laughs> um, So basically starting off with eight cards in hand has always been very potent, rather than seven. Just look at uh, Library of Alexandria. Although not quite at that power level, um, Companion does pose a notable threat in various formats and has been kind of taking them over slowly but surely. There was an immediate explosion of Companion decks, which died down, and are now slowly coming back. And Luris is a big... Is a big um, mistake, especially alongside Mishra's Bubble, That constant card advantage is hard for decks to deal with, especially in Modern where people are just trying to goldfish. Uh, there's not a force of will to really slow the deck down. And yeah. in the decks where there is a force of will to slow them down, like Legacy, um, it's
0: they're still also running enough. force of will.
1: It's not enough! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was gonna
0: say, it's not enough because they just run force of will because it's permanent or less you can have a deck i, I saw some brews that were literally just lurus and then they're all spells there's no permanence other than other than their lands in the deck and they just win with various like there was like a storm deck i saw that with where it went off the tendrils of agony and uh anyway Luris is running wild it's uh you know i think just to cut to the chase on that particular companion my concern with Luris is you look at its impact, particularly in Vintage and then even in Legacy, um, it, it, it's it's warping the format significantly. It's it's actually worse than Underworld Breach, which out of Theros, Beyond Death, or, uh, Beyond Death came out and, and was making up like, I forget what the number was, but I think it was like 30 something percent of Legacy. Uh, and they had to ban it pretty rapidly. It was like within a couple of weeks it got banned. I think Luris is going to follow the same suit. It ha- we haven't even hit paper uh, or these haven't hit paper uh, tabletops, but I think when they release on May 15th and then not too long after that, I imagine that we're going to see a ban come through, particularly for MTGO, um, just to just to not warp legacy significantly. That's just a hypothesis, but if you have your copies of Luris, Luris is pre-ordering still for I just checked it, and it was pre-ordering around twenty dollars ballpark, depending on what site you look for. If you have copies of this that you secured at you know a, a really early entry, five, four or five dollars when it first was spoiled, I would strongly recommend uh, trying to sell out of those. Um Certainly, you know, in the pre-order system, you may want to run the risk of people canceling if it gets banned. And if they do get banned, I, I, I'm very much of the opinion that you should eat that yourself. But regardless, I, I don't think you should be sitting on copies of Lurus long term. I think that is, it's pretty high risk. I think it's going to start to see some bans for sure in Legacy and Vintage. I, I would be shocked if it doesn't. Um, and then when we look at standard, Pioneer, and modern, it's starting to make waves there as well. Although, as you mentioned, um, it, it's a little bit less so in the sense that other than modern, Pioneer doesn't have an engine for Luris like like Mishra's Bobble to give that kind of card advantage. Modern, I think, is going to be taken over by it sooner than later, but but I think it's going to be less so in Pioneer and standard. So we'll see how that takes out as well. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about the other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Azus.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, moving on. I do have other companions that are, well, that I think should be on the watch list as they are very notable and seeing some play in, well, in other decks rather than just, oh, Luris Value Town. Um. For control lists with very few creatures or no creatures, I've actually been seeing a lot of Kahira, the Orphan Guard. That's the Cat Beast one, where the companion clause is each creature in your starting deck is a Cat Elemental Nightmare Dinosaur or Beast card. It's a it's a free creature as three mana three two in like Planeswalker control lists. Why not run it if you've got no other creatures?
0: Uh, planeswalker control Rakdos burn like I've seen I've seen that as well. They're just they're it's just a free a free three two with vigilance that you get. Uh, you know, you get to use whenever you need a a blocker. So, you know, for like burn and stuff, what it does is it smooths out mana flooded, for example, or conversely, you only get a couple mana and you need three for, or three, sorry, you get three mana and you need four for some reason. Um, It's smoothing that out. It's buying you a turn as a blocker. And and yeah, so I think that's a great point, particularly for modern and pioneer.
1: And that, that, again, that's notable in modern pioneer. I think it could also see some play, in standard, as War of the Spark is still in, uh, well, is still uh cycled in right now, but it's, it's easily going to phase out of standard once, uh, well, post rotation.
0: Uh, I agree with that.
1: Moving on to Garuda, that's seeing standard play, and I believe it's seeing some legacy play in some fringe decks. It is, but yeah, Garuda in. I don't think it's going to be a, like overpowered deck, or as overpowering as, or an auto-include, like Kahira or Luris, this is definitely a card you need to build around. But it is strong, especially in Standard, where there's very little ways to stop it once you, well, once players can ramp up to, uh, to Gairuda. I almost said Gigan, because that's his Godzilla variant. Um. And when you do ramp into him, it's hard to stop that value engine going. It reminds me somewhat of Tron in the sense that once they get it online it's hard to stop it. but the problem is getting it online
0: yeah so i just actually posted a link to a deck from modern that i saw on and i actually saw it on goldfish first and then i saw it on mtg stocks today uh, this was a five-zero list with garuda in modern actually it's a really cool looking list
1: oh is it the one that includes sakashima
0: does yeah i was about to say it's okay. the one that runs sakashima and heartless summoning so anyway i mean kind of long story short on the companions it, my big concern with them is that there's no way to interact with uh, companions I, I was talking precast about this that it's it, it reminds me a little bit of like energy and standard where you just didn't have a way to deal with it similar to emblems with planeswalkers as well and i mean I, the emblems with planeswalkers are much harder thing to achieve these are literally just free cards that you add into your deck and cast whenever you need them there's just something about it that i I tend to agree with what you said there it feels like a mistake it's it's rough it's definitely rough it's a it's a big shift into what we're used to and i i hope that there's if nothing else change to the rules down the road where uh, similar to how like we have a command zone in commander there's a companion zone, and the companion zone can be interacted with, I think that's a a fair approach to make these a little more balanced. If they don't do that, these will just continue to run wild in their various formats.
1: Yeah, I I agree fully, and when it comes to... There are two companions that are not seeing a lot of play, but I think have a lot of potential in uh, Commander as... Well, because most of the time with these companions, from what I've seen so far... They don't even follow the companion mechanic. They just literally run them as a commander, and it's like, there you go. Because yeah. uh, you're, you're cutting yourself short too much by running them as a companion. But somewhere you don't really need to cut yourself off too much is Jengatha, the Wellspring, in a five-color deck. As This was one you were talking about earlier because you wanted to build five-color dinos. And then the other one is Karuga, the Macro Sage for casual EDH. Because convert mana costs three or greater, is actually fairly easy to work with, especially in casual tables where your go-to mana rocks are like Commander's Sphere, Dark stealing. So you're already starting off at that three CMC.
0: Right. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think those are, those are going to be the ones that fall the most, but they're also... I think you're making a great point here. They're, they're The ones from like a speculative standpoint are going to fall the most in price because they're not going to see play in competitive formats but they're the ones that when they fall the most might be the most appealing to pick up, particularly foils. Because like you said, Gigantha for, I mentioned like Nib-Mizzet Reborn, um, Morafine, and and that's, I guess there's some overlap with, with Nib-Mizzet in Modern. We have talked about that in the Conviction Discord with, a little bit, but uh, I don't think that that's going to see play just because of how important the, the um, oh my gosh, the board wipe in Nib-Mizzet. Sorry, I'm blanking on it. Supreme Verdict. Supreme verdict. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That was funny. <laughs> um, but, but like you said in EDH, Jagatha and, uh, Chigatha, sorry. And, um, Karuga, was that the one you mentioned? Those are both certainly uh, nice picks for EDH and, and playable there. Well, all right. So talked about Command- companion. We talked about CEDH. Let's move into a little bit of the MTG finance. I won't be stumbling as much over these because this is right in my wheelhouse, my favorite stuff. Uh, so we're going to talk next about reserveless spikes. Like We kind of touched on it with CEDH a little bit. I think you hinted at your take on it. I think our take is somewhat similar here that we both feel these spikes that we've seen on things like Gaze Cradle, Wheel of Fortune, et cetera, uh, that those are tied more to speculator demand than actual sustainable demand remains to be seen. Certainly, it's very early. Uh, these spikes have all happened just within probably the last seven to 10 days. I'll let you start, Jesus, and then I'll give my thoughts.
1: Okay, so because these are all a lot of these are reserved list or very low print run spikes. I remember one that ended up becoming a lot of artificial demand that we called out as artificial demand and not really actionable was um Mask, which saw a one point five k percent spike uh in well within twenty four hours. As speculators tried to do a mass buyout. Um, I think that's kind of the trend with all of these RL, uh, reserve list spikes. I believe it is just a... Um, how do I say this? I think what it is is... With, all, with the current situation uh, with coronavirus as well... Well, causing a lot of unique market situations where there's o- an overall supply drain... And no new supply hitting market due to lack of buy lists, as we've discussed earlier, uh, before chat, Well, before uh, the cast. Um, That's causing a lot of really tight and awkward problems with these reserve list cards, where there is a slight and I mean very slight increase in demand because of CEDH. And I'm talking about minimal here. Um, Speculators are trying to use that as an engine for mass buyout or To kind of like, they think that, oh, this might actually be a good purchase. When in reality, these prices are probably just going to self-regulate soon with very few exceptions. And I think one of those exceptions might be Gaia's Cradle, simply because it's already an extremely high demand card.
0: Yeah, I think think all these new price points are going to do what they always do. They're going to create a higher floor. Uh, I think every time this happens, we end up seeing the card retrace eventually, uh, but it, it'll hold, you know, a, a 10 or even 20% premium. I think you're right that Giz Cradle is going to be one of those exceptions where it, it, it's it's it been trending up for a long time. And, and to your point, it's it's also a very iconic card. A lot of people that buy Giz Cradles, in my experience anyway, I shouldn't say a lot of people, like I know this, but the people that I know who have them, including myself, once you get a copy of it, you tend to Hold on to it and kind of treasure it, and and whether that's a collector's piece that you store away for your collection or a piece that you're adding into an EDH deck, they kind of come on, come and go off the market. So I could I could agree with that. I could see that. I think Wheel of Fortune is another one that's played pretty heavily, even in more casual. Uh, EDH formats as well. So I could see that that demand could stretch far enough to actually hold. But as you start going down the list and you look at things like Survival of the Fittest, which is a combo enabler, um, Gilded Drake, which is a heavily, heavily favored CEDH card, sees a lot of play. Um, and, and I think of some of the other ones, there's been others. Copy Artifact was another one. They, these are cards that They've been seeing a supply drain, possibly in part due to all the reprints. We we talked a lot about this early in the year, uh, back in January and February. Biospark wrote a whole series on it for us. At Conviction Gaming, is called "Flight to Safety," and that was when we, right after we found out that we were getting reprints all all year long. And so, there's certainly some element to this that could be people putting money into the reserve list because of that. It is a safe place to. At least for now, it's a safe place to have money in Magic if you're if you're thinking of it from a quote unquote investment standpoint. But I do also agree with everything you just kind of touched on, Jesus. I think a lot of this is also tied to not uh, there, there's a supply chain malfunction right now with the the current market situation. Where big box retailers like channel Fireball and Card Kingdom and and most importantly probably is TCG Direct. They're not funneling cards in and out, and they're not able to get people who are selling them collections and or or even just selling small pieces of collections. Those cards are staying in binders because those buy lists are either super deflated in terms of what you can get value wise, or they just don't exist because the buy lists have been turned off. So because of that, if you look at just overall supply, we just were talking about this earlier in the in the Discord Chrome Mox showed up on interests or or mtg goldfish or something as like a fifteen thousand dollar card it's like come on like whoever listed that you're just being a jerk but the reality is chrome Mox is very low supply because it's again not being churned over and it's 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 actually probably gone up about a hundred percent in the last four months I, I just sold a copy of that early this year around 35 dollars, and i know we had a discord member sell one for 60 the other day so um Long story short on this, the 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 market influence plus a hype train of 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 C E D H that we're kind of seeing it feels very artificial to me. Uh, I wouldn't chase these. I do think one card I forgot to mention, Grim Monolith, it, that was one that spiked because of Kinnan. I think that's a legitimate spike. I think that card is actually going up because of Kinnan, and also uh Zerda, I think is the other one, the Boros companion that also allows infinite mana so i think that one will stick i think grim monolith is like is a legitimate 130 150 card now it was about 90 or 100 just a few weeks ago uh, but the other ones i think are going to retrace and and so if you missed the boat and you needed one of those copies just be patient it'll it'll come back
1: i think the grim monolith spec has more weight in the kin well in kinon well b- because of kinon in particular than Zerda, as it doesn't go infinite with either. But Kinnon is in blue, which allows for power artifact to exist.
0: I think oh, it, does it does go infinite with the Bor. It does go. Yeah. With oh, the- it does
1: go infinite with the Boros one. Correct. I'm I'm wrong uh, about that. But yeah. Um, Basalt uh, Basalt Monolith goes infinite with both. Uh, but Kinnin allows for power artifact for redundancy with the right. Grim Monolith Basalt Monolith combos, which allows Grim Monolith to actually slot neatly in that deck, regardless.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for cl- cleaning that up. That's that's mm-hmm. definitely correct. Yeah, but basalt does go infinite with both. Um, Grim is only with the Boros one. But yeah, I, I do think it'll hold more weight. It it has demand from two banders on top of the CEDH demand. So I think that that one is probably gonna stick at a a somewhat significant price increase from where it was at, at least at least about a twenty five or thirty percent increase. Um the other ones I think are gonna come back and I think they will hold a higher floor, but only maybe 10 or, or 20% in certain cases. I think Wheel of Fortune and Gatiss Grail may hold a little bit higher price point than the others. Cool. All right. Well, we're cruising along. We're, we're around 40-ish minutes at this point, 35, 40 minutes. So we're on pretty good schedule from a timing standpoint. The last topic I want to touch on was just a quick kind of vendor update from what I've been seeing. It's it's tied more to the supply chain piece. So I want to talk about what that impact I, I also there's like some little things I don't know if people if everyone's thinking about these type of situations, but for example, top loaders. Top loaders are all of a sudden the hottest commodity on the secondary market, and it's not just because of magic. It's Pokemon, sports cards, all the different collectibles that would typically use top loaders as a protective device, whether it's for collections or to sell. These are all of a sudden selling for $160 on eBay and Amazon. And, and I, I shouldn't say selling, they're being listed for that price. Um, you can find them cheaper, but they're very, very hard to find. And it's little things like that that are starting to impact vendor sales, even at the smaller scales of like TCG, back, call them like backpack stores, or my, my store is not quite backpack size. A little bit bigger Chicago-style gaming, but still uh, an in-home storefront, right? And so as people start to run out of things like top loaders, and envelopes is another one. I just had to restock on envelopes. They're they're twice the, twice the price of what they were the last time I bought them, um, and I had to. I had to buy them. I, I had to fill orders, so I had to buy them. But little things like that are going to start eating up margins or potentially even forcing Stores to find different alternatives. You know, like if you think of top loaders, how else can you ship? You might have to use cardboard, you might have to use, I don't know, there's there's alternatives, but they're not good ones. And and so people are gonna start suffering from that from a feedback standpoint. Uh, shipping could be slowed, delayed, potentially canceled entirely. It's little things like that that as the coronavirus impacts continue longer and longer out, those are gonna keep kind of whittling away at the normalcy putting that in quotes. Of what we're used to. Um, so, so that's part of what I want to touch on. The other thing I want to touch on is what we've been seeing for pretty much since all this coronavirus stuff started. And that's the, I've seen a progression, the first probably four to six weeks of coronavirus, all my sales were very low-costed type cars. They were, were like the $1 variety, the the budget type stuff that um, the orders would be a dollar with four shipping in some cases. and I was getting a lot of those type of orders, but I wasn't getting a lot of the five, ten, twenty dollar cards to sell. I have seen since the stimulus went out, the coronavirus stimulus package, checks have been you know starting to deposit for people. I've seen a little bit of an increase in the value of cards being sold. My average price per card sale or uh, average sales amount per day is probably a better way to look at this and think about it, has gone up. Also the average price per card that has sold over the last 10 days has also gone up quite a bit for me, in fact. So I think, I don't know how temporary or sustainable long-term this is, given you know how I, there's so many unknowns with coronavirus, but it was worth noting at least to call out that there has been some amount of resurgence in demand that also could be tied in part to Equoria and Commander 2020 people are interested in brewing right now. So there's like all these different factors but that was an update i wanted to mention for folks
1: uh kind of building off of that me looking at this from a buyer's perspective as i'm not as much of a speculator and i only really sell locally um when this whole well when the virus well when the outbreak started and businesses started to shut down in my area um i ended i kind of did similar thing i ended up only buying cheaper cards kind of saved most of my money for stocking up, making sure I was in a good position before I really started spending on my hobbies. Uh and then as the stimulus checks came out, as my um uh, well as I realized I was in a much more stable location, especially especially considering I'm a essential worker. Uh I was like Screw it, let me spend a hundred dollars to get my um mana crypt commission and painted. Like I at that point I had saved up money. I'm like okay, let me just spend it. (laughs) Um, And I think that's kind of the mindset that some of these uh, players and brewers are getting into, especially as these stimulus checks are coming in and the hype around Ikoria, how broken some of the mechanics are. Um, I think think this is going to be I think this is kind of like a caffeine shot. It's going to be going up, it's going to hit a peak, and it's going to come back down.
0: you know, if I were to hypothesize, I agree with that, Jesus. The the only thing that would maybe offset that is if somehow Wizards is able to, or yeah, Wizards Hasbro is able to fire up printers now that the, there's been talk about the economy slowly reopening in the next few months here. And if they are able to do that, I could see that this becomes more sustainable because one, it means some people might be returning to jobs and, and, you know, income starts to steady for, for people who have Lost their jobs. The the other likely factor there, or like more, I guess, or cat, a uh, bigger catalyst, I think, is the idea that that would mean that Corset 2021 could potentially return to somewhat of a normal timeline. They, I, I think they've already postponed Jumpstart, but they haven't, I don't think, postponed Corset 2020's release date, 2021, I mean. Um, that's going to be pivotal because as sets come out, that always tends to drive a little bit of, you know, just a little, like you said, a caffeine shot, like each time a new set comes out, it tends to drive a little of that. The, the combination though of the Corona coronavirus stimulus package tax returns um, and then the commander 2020 and Aquaria all at once. I think you're right. I think it is, it's for sure a big shot in the arm. And I, I don't see this being sustainable until things settle with the broader economy. It's it's just, we we have to have paper events before things can really return to normal. And that's quite a ways away. So I think, you know, card prices as a whole will continue to be somewhat depressed, uh, you know, until that until that changes. I guess that being said, the buy list situation is also realistic and or a, a real thing. And so until buy lists can come online, prices may not drop as much as we think because there's there's both a scarcity
1: issue and a demand issue on both ends of the table here so it's a really interesting it's 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 become a a balancing act which is kind of awkward to try to predict
0: totally i was gonna say it's a really interesting use case if like someone is doing like an economy or economics thesis i think down the road to look back on this it's going to be a really interesting use case but anyway all right so I want to talk really quickly, I know Q&A is next, I wanted to just provide my spec for the for the cast, my spec for the cast in the evening. I did post it for folks in our Discord right at the start, and I will start doing that when I have specs for our shows moving forward, so you don't have to wait till the end. It's uh, a perk of being a part of our Discord. This one I have about an 8 out of 10 confidence rating on, and it's Finale of Revelation. It's seeing quite a bit of drain actually due to Kinnan. We talked about Kinnan a little bit ago. Uh, you can actually look at Star City Games and Card Kingdom and note that they've been selling copies around $4 to upwards of four fifty, dollars I believe, at Card Kingdom. The buy list on this at Card Kingdom is only $1.60, but I, I could see that number going up moving forward. The kicker is that on TCG Player, you can still find non-foils for $2.00. Uh, I went ahead and I bought 10 copies of that myself. I actually plan on using a few of those copies for decks and then the rest of them will go into inventory. I like foils as well. Foils are again, also, um, you know, seeing some drain. They're in reasonably low supply. I would call it kind of nearing a tipping point. And foils, if you can find them $5 or less, that's near mint. Uh, probably down to lightly played. I think lightly played even at $5 is probably okay. Uh, if you can get lower than that on lightly played, I would encourage it. I think I got actually two copies of foils for, for uh, they were $4 and some change for lightly played. So anyway, foils of finale of Revelation, $5 of last target out is around $10 non-foils, you can find them at $2 in TCG, the, tar- the target out on those would be $5. So I really like that one. Take a look at it, um, and it's it's really entirely on Canon is the latest reason for that, although Finale of Revelation is just kind of a fun card in general for, um, you know, going big in EDH, particularly in casual formats. Okay, so we've got a couple of questions. I'm gonna save. I'm gonna read them in the order that we got them, and then I'm actually gonna flip flop them because one is I, I put a, a bomb emoji, a bombshell emoji. It's a great question. It's really a, a very relevant question. Happy to answer this on cast. As you said, I'd like you to chime in on this as well. We'll we'll both kind of give our take on this live and pre-plant this cat this question. But Illuminati asked, "What's the future of conviction gaming?" So hold that thought. I'm gonna answer Biospark's question pretty quickly. Bio asked. Should I be selling my top loaders for cash? I kind of chuckle at this. I would say yes, honestly. Don't um, price gouge. I, I hate that price gouging is a thing. But you can certainly get a little bit of added value by having these right now. There is scarcity. Um, if you need the cash, there's no reason not to. I wouldn't. I, I'm very much a person who believes firmly in helping people out. So if people actually need top loaders, I am in a position. I do have a, a just a ton of them and. Um, we'll be likely offering those out to some folks in small, you know, moderation of a hand, you know, whether it's 20 or 40 at a time. But, um, yeah, you, sh- you should certainly consider it. If you have extras, people need these. They're in demand. It's I, I, I'm not making it up. I saw a listing on eBay and Amazon. Uh, eBay had one for $159.99 and Amazon had one for like $139.99. It was for 1,000 top loaders. Those normally cost about $40 to $60. So, yeah. Um, Alternatively, if you need these, if you need top loaders, obviously ask around, ask your friends, come to Conviction Gaming, reach out to me. Feel free to DM me or hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I can I can certainly help people out with smaller quantities. Not willing to sell uh, huge bulk ones right now, uh, but I can help out if you need you know forty at a time type of thing. I I, I only say that because I have a store to run and I don't know how many I'll need before things come back to normal. Um, if you also need help though, one of the one of the tips from our other cast member George was to check with your LGSs around the the area, give them a call, uh, reach out to them on Facebook, that type of thing, and see if they have any extras that they don't need. Particularly in states where the majority of states are like this, where they're closed down because of the quarantine, and so if they don't need those, you might be able to get um, you know get a reasonable deal on them that way. Okay, so that was a mouthful. Uh, let's talk about the future of conviction gaming. So. The future of Conviction Gaming resides in two primary spots. Discord is the lifeblood of it. We have a very lively Discord. I would, I would certainly make an argument that it's one of the most lively Discords in both the finance and really even kind of the brewing arena. We we do both, we talk about both. There are a ton of amazing members in our, our community. We've been live since October 1st of last year we've grown to over 100 and i think we're coming up on around 120 members at this point. Um it has been free. And so i will kind of put the caveat we've we've let the discord remain free to date. Uh with with a patreon there's three patreon exclusive channels for a dollar. Uh, that's going to be changing here in a couple basically in roughly four weeks. We're expecting on June 1st to shift this to a Patreon exclusive Discord. It will be a dollar to sign up until that date, uh, which would be, we'll, we'll notify on this, but right now tentatively March, or I'm sorry, May 31st is when we're making the cutover. We have an early adopter Patreon, which is a dollar. Once we do cut over to a premium Discord, it's going to jump to two ninety nine, And the primary reason for that, the it, Really, the whole whole reason for that is to support the cost of running the discord and and the admins and really just being able to to pay the people who are are providing awesome content and awesome um, you know basically their time really. Uh, you know, we've got a, a a judge in here. We've got three admins, uh, or four or five content creators at this point. So that's the that's the purpose for those. Um. That's part of the future, and and so the more members that we have, the more that we can reinvest that into the content creators and really influence, um. You know, good good conversations, good content, good updates, et cetera. Uh, we just want to keep it lively and keep it going. Zeus, do you have anything to add on that front?
1: Um, I've got a few things to say, mainly as kind of the. Like massive brewer that I am in this, well, well for this uh, medium, I want there to, despite the amount of brewing we already do, I kind of want there to be more talk about deck lists, um, kind of more movement on different formats. I mean, our commander chat's pretty lively, but I don't really play many other formats other than maybe modern, and I just play modern jank. So I want to see more people talking in those formats, uh, and part of that is. Articles. I need to get off my ass and start writing more and more articles because I have been taking a huge break and I can't get past to my writer's block. I end up actually writing an article while drunk, and I need to edit it because it's actually pretty decent. <laughs> yeah. So um, I hopefully you'll see more articles from me. I'm hoping that we get that I can convince some of my friends, especially those who play CEDH and have a little more insight on that, to start writing well to start helping me write a few things such as deck lists, deck techs, or some higher-powered stuff, um, as well as some of my friends who are modern and legacy players to kind of give me a hand in just... I want to expand the brewing landscape of this channel uh, s- significantly more.
0: Yeah, that's a great... So I, t- I said there were two pieces kind of to the future of Conviction Gaming. The Discord is the lifeblood, and then the second one that I was going to talk about was all the other content out of the Discord. So that's going to be podcasts, what we're doing right now, the Brewing with Conviction podcast. There's articles. We've got Biospark, who's been just doing an amazing job writing. He's listening right now, so this is great. I can give him a, a huge shout-out. I uh, has been doing an amazing job writing articles for us. He just actually submitted another one, uh, another draft. It's a follow-up to his to safety uh articles from about six to eight weeks ago so that'll be going live soon here um and and just really continue to build out our content across the board We, we plan on a lot of different things with regard to articles i have one in the pipeline right now on the commander front i'm going to be doing revisiting my what i call chris's commander corner it's it's a article series that I've done for a while now. I did it for another publication that I used to write for, and I'm going to be reviving that. And so to Zeus's point kind of broadly, I think content is the other piece that we plan on bringing more to the table moving forward beyond just the podcast. It's going to be more articles and analysis. I'm sure there's probably other things I could say to this, but uh, those are the, those are the highlights, I would say. Those are the most important things. The community has been tremendous, and we really can't thank all the folks that have supported us across the board. Really, I mean, there there are so many people I could list. All of our members, first of all, but there's just so many individuals who have reached out and and G Tutor, BioSpark, Akeed, who has volunteered to admin for us. I mean, there's been a lot of people who have just stepped up and and really helped us get this thing off the ground. So appreciate all of you.
1: Honestly, thanks. We wouldn't have been able to get anywhere without them, because and without you guys for listening, because. Uh this this grew much faster than i expected and i'm happy about it but at the same time that means i need to i need to step up my to my A game cuz christ i've been slacking
0: <laughs>
1: yeah no
0: it's i it, it, i 100% agree with you it's grown way faster than i think we could have expected so well that'll do it for us tonight you can uh I'll, I'll get our quick plug in you can find conviction gaming this podcast and, and all of our podcasts are on our website convictiongaming.com the Patreon is, is the same thing. It's patreon.com slash conviction gaming. So that's where you can actually sign up for the community. You can find all of our podcasts there as well. And you will be able to exclusively find all of our articles. And lastly, you can find us on Twitter at ConvictionMTG. So if you find us there, all the links that I just mentioned are posted there as well. Thanks, everybody. Jesus, good, good as always. Great chatting.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.